Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastor elders here. Glad you're here with us. Welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, we're going to be taking communion today, so if you're at home and haven't grabbed something, uh, you're probably not going to miss much here in the next 30 seconds, and so go grab something out of the fridge and be ready with us. Um, boy, that song. Yeah? Were you guys singing that song? Were you worshiping in that song? Uh, be careful, right? Were you paying attention to it? I, I was sitting there singing, going, uh-oh. Um, I'm just going to get it, because this wasn't what I was planning on talking about. Let's take a look here. What did we just agree to? <laughs> if the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything I do. I think I'm missing a page. Uh-oh. Hold on. Is there one more page? There it is. Or maybe I missed two pages. I'm going to mess up Brooklyn's whole music thing over here. <laughs> Stars were made to worship, so will I. The mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the wind goes where you will it, so will I. The rocks cry out of silence, so will I. If the sum of all your praises fill the sky, uh, and we will sing a hundred billion times. And uh, then if... Uh, it, it said something like, as I'm not finding it here, eight billion reasons I see every person on this planet. And if you were willing to die for them, so will I. Those are profound words as we jump into today's verse. <laughs> and interestingly, really goes uh, with what I was about to say. A couple weeks ago, I was working here a little bit late, not super late, but uh, Trudy texts me, I think something like that, and she's like, hey, can you get me some chicken McNuggets? And I'm like, sure, I'm not a big fan of McDonald's, but I'll go get you some chicken McNuggets. And so I'm leaving here, and I drive by, and there's a homeless guy uh, sitting at the corner, kind of, I think, where the pillars, the new pillars are to Old Town, you know? And there's a bench there. It was right around one of those intersections, and, uh, and God was like, hey, get that guy a burger. I don't know if God says, hey. Uh, all the time, but that's kind of what I felt, and uh, so I was like, all right, and I'm driving and, and thinking to myself, and because sometimes we can overthink things, and like, God, was that you? Like, was that you, God? You know, have you ever been there? Yeah, just so I'm not alone, okay. Was that you? Was that just me? Uh, what am I supposed to do here? And so then I'm driving a little bit, and I'm like, all right, how about this? <laughs> I've, like, I'm almost ashamed to even say this to you guys. If the light is red... Then I'll know it was you. And even as I'm thinking it, because I'm not talking out loud, I'm, come on, come on, I know better than this. And, uh, and so I'm driving up, and, and then God says to me, isn't it enough that I just told you to get him a burger? And I was like, I'm, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then, and then he said, because even if it wasn't me, what, you'd be out a couple of bucks? And I was just like, oh, God. I'm sorry, like I know, I know I'm not supposed to, like just listen, isn't it enough that I told you to get him a burger? Yeah, yeah, that should be enough, right? And, uh, and I don't know how God speaks to you, and sometimes uh, for some I know in an audible voice, sometimes for me it's like this voice as I try to discern it, that's somewhere between my head and my heart, like it exists somewhere in there. And I can't totally define it, and yet it's slightly different than my own internal monologue, which is usually pretty boring, you know? 
Like, what am I going to go off-road next? No. God's talking different kinds of things that wouldn't be my natural. And so now I'm singing, if, if you were willing to eight, die for eight billion people, so will I. If the wind goes where you will, so will I. And this thought of learning to hear his voice and learning to follow in his ways as the wind and the seas we saw last week or maybe a few weeks ago obey his very command. And as he speaks, he speaks things into existence and he wants to do that through us. Now, he is the one doing the speaking of into existence in us and through us. It's not, us. it's not us speaking those things into existence, which we'll come back around to. But Luke chapter 9 is where we're at. You can turn there in your Bible. You can scroll there in your phone. Uh, if you don't have the app, version uh, is one. You can go to the app store right now and grab that one. It's my favorite to use. And so uh, we're going to be picking it up in Luke chapter 9, verse 7. Okay, now this is after the 12 apostles last week. Remember, they were sent out. Jesus said, don't take a money bag or an extra tunic or a staff. I'm going to provide for you. I'm giving you authority. Again, Jesus is able to speak things into existence. So he spoke authority into their lives to go and to heal the sick, to uh, free those that were demonically oppressed and the like, and they're going out. And uh, fairly shortly after that, we pick up in verse 7. It says, Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard uh, about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said about, um, by some that John had been raised from the dead, that would be John the Baptist, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I am hearing such things? And he sought to see him. And so Herod, who is in charge of this region in Galilee, hears word of not only Jesus healing and raising people from the dead and, and freeing the demonically oppressed, but now his followers are doing the same, and he's perplexed. What's going on? I haven't heard these kinds of stories except for of people of old from way back, from times that came before. And so he's hearing word around him. Well, some say it's John the Baptist. Raised from the dead. That should be of some concern to Herod because Herod was the one that had him killed. You see, Herod had started, he had taken his brother's wife as his own, and John the Baptist was preaching against this. He actually ended up, because of that preaching against uh, Herod and his household, was arrested and then later was killed because of it. And so for him to be raised from the dead, that would probably be alarming. To hear about possibly Elijah, as he asked, who is this? Who is it? Maybe Elijah, who never died at all. He was taken up into heaven, and maybe he has returned, possibly on the same fiery chariot that he had gone away up into the heavens from. Others say it's another prophet of old. And I would think that all of these answers would be somewhat concerning to Herod. They're all supernatural responses. Now, were supernatural things a little bit more common in that time, in that place? I don't totally know. I, I'm not exactly sure, but, but he was perplexed and he was confused by these things. And then it says uh, that he sought to seek after Jesus. He sought after Jesus. And, uh, and so I read this part, and it's almost like his response to this answer is, huh, huh, that's interesting. You know, maybe I'd like to see this Jesus guy. 
And then we just don't hear anything else about it in Scripture. To put them into a little mental note right there, we're going to come back around to it in a little bit, but uh, before that, we're going to continue in verse 10. Verse 10 says, And on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And when he welcomed, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had been uh, needed of healing. And now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside and find lodging. And get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. I love this response of, of Jesus's. How, how about you give them something to eat? You see, they traveled, and they're on the north, northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The crowds who had heard about Jesus, but had also maybe been present for what the twelve had done, came and gathered. They heard Jesus and his boys are going to be together, and they come flooding to this desolate area. And Jesus takes this opportunity, says that he shares with them about the things of the kingdom of God. Because that's what Jesus is about, saying the kingdom of God is near. This thought of you being reconnected uh, with the God of the universe is present. The way is being made right now. And Jesus' response to the 12, and he said, send them away. Send them into the area. Help, have them go into people's homes and into the towns and find places to sleep and, and provide food for themselves. And yet Jesus comes up. Why don't you give them something to eat? You got such a great plan already in place. How about you do something about this? And, and maybe the disciples hadn't quite learned that lesson of, of go and don't take a tunic with you or a money bag or extra. I will provide everything that you need. You see, the disciples were coming up with their own plan. They had learned the lesson that Jesus had given over and over again. As Jesus would say, I do nothing but what the Father tells me to do. I say nothing except for for what the Father tells me to say. And these lessons of looking to the Father and trusting in Him were not learned yet by the disciples. You see, they had come and they were like, God, we got this. We got a plan. We don't, we don't need you to worry about all the small minutiae of things. We've got to figure it out. Just send them out into the countryside. Let them fend for themselves. We've got this. We don't want you to be bogged down in all the details. We can take care of that, Right? Silly disciples. But that's us. I mean, that's us. We got to be those disciples, right? God, I'll bother you with the big things, but I don't want you to have to worry about the small stuff. I've got a plan for this, and we don't consult him. We don't ask him about certain things in our lives. We save it for the biggies, as though the creator of the universe wasn't big enough to handle the small things as well as the big things. He's the all-powerful, the all-knowing, and we don't want to bother him with the minutiae. And Jesus is like, come to me. Why don't you look to me? And so they're like, we've decided, you know, the, the disciples, like we talked, we've decided it would be best if they went out. Oh, did you now? Is that what you guys decided? I've got an idea. How about with all your great ideas, you guys feed them and house them, find a way for them. 
and they're shut down in this. Verse 13, pick it back up here. It says, but Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people, for there were about 5,000 men, probably more like 13,000 people. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And they had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves, and he gave them back to his disciples who set them before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up in 12 baskets of broken leftover pieces. You see, it's almost a guarantee that when we're going to do things God's way, that it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to us. That we're going to look at it and go, what? You want us to do what? Gather them in groups of 50, have them sit. Bring those five loaves and two fish. And he blesses them and, and he says, now go and give it to them. And I wonder if the disciples are grumbling to themselves, what did Jesus do? We had this all figured out. What are we supposed to do with these five loaves? And two fish, there's 15,000 people out here. All right. And they go out, and then we see the end result of that leftovers, 12 baskets full. And that's because his means are always going to support his ways. And for us to look at the things that God is doing and try to figure them out might be just a waste of our time. Isn't it enough that I told you to get him a burger? Yeah. All right. Let me worry about the rest. You just follow in what I'm saying to you. Now, this story actually points us back to the book of Exodus. And if you have, again, your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus, we have a similar situation. There's a great crowd, and they're gathered in a desolate place. And it's after the Exodus that have left Egypt under the care and protection of God himself. And they find themselves in the desert and God has, has freed them from captivity. He's taken them through the Red Sea. He has conquered the armies of Egypt by engulfing them in the water. And his presence at night is a huge fiery flame going out in front of them. And during the day, it's a cloud. God's presence is with them. And they're following him into the desert, into this desolate place. And guess what they're doing? They're grumbling. And they set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, catch that, that's fairly important, on the 15th day of the second month, it's been like 45 days, okay? This isn't some distant past thing of them experiencing God, and they're still in God's presence just days ago, weeks ago, these things happened, 45 days in. And the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread uh, to the full? For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wouldn't it have been better if God had just let us die there? 
At least we were happy and we were fed and we had a place to lie our head, but you have brought us out here to starve to death. Grumbling. And, uh, and, and God is taking this, or Moses is taking this to God and, and talking to him. And, uh, and in their unsatisfied state, even though they had been granted freedom, even though God had protected them from their enemies, even though God's presence was still with them, they bring these things up. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. I hear their grumbling, and I'm about to rain the answers down from heaven. Let's jump forward to verse 8. In verse 8, it says, And Moses said, When the Lord gives you uh, in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because of the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, and say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. As though they hadn't already seen enough to know that he was the Lord God, and yet he says, I've heard you, and I will provide for you yet again. I wonder, uh, I find some uh, weird amount of peace in that when, when he says, uh, because your grumbling is not against us, who are we? The leadership of Israel. Your grumbling is against God. He says, why is it that you look to us? I'm not here to provide for you. I'm just a spokesperson of what God is doing. Your grumbling isn't against me, it is against him. And, and I, I find a weird amount of peace in, in that. I've gotten an email or two. Your grumbling isn't against Maybe it is against me. We'll sit down and talk it through. I'll pour the coffee for us. Verse 12, let's go there. It says, And I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am Lord your God. And the evening quail came upon them and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, and uh, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. And you shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And he says, I want you to gather these items as much as you can eat. In the morning, it's going to arrive. And they looked at it because they'd never seen it before and they didn't know what it was. And manna itself actually means, what is it? What is, I don't know. What is this stuff? 
It is the providence of God so gathered up enough, about two liters uh, uh, for each person in your home, enough. And it says then that, that those who gathered just a little bit had enough. They, they weren't left without. Those who gathered a little bit more had just enough, but not too much. Now you can continue to read and see a lesson that some gathered more than what they were asked of. They said, just gather enough. Don't keep it over for the morning. And some were hoarding it. And in the morning when they woke up, it stunk and had worms in it and had gone bad. And God was like, if you just, you know, uh, isn't me telling you to get him a burger enough? Like, isn't what I just asked you to do enough? But people providing in their own ways and their own means. Verse 31, it says, Now the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made from honey, this manna that had been gathered. And so now, thousands of years later, we have another group gathered in a desolate place. And the disciples thinking that they had a plan of their own, but God comes in with a different plan. In John chapter 6, we read this account. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. If only we would find our sustenance in him and quit looking to ourselves and trying to figure out things on our own and looking to our own wisdom. In verse 18, there's a little bit different scene that takes place in the context of his story. It says, now it happened that he was praying alone and the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, the Christ of God. So here again, instead of the question, who is this? That Herod asked, Jesus says, who am I according to the crowds? Who am I? Who are you hearing that I am? And they answered, evidently being informed by the same crowd that Herod himself was being informed by. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. We know that's not true. We've been with you even when John was on the scene. Some say that you're Elijah returns. Others say that you are a prophet of old. The same three answers that Herod had been given are the ones that they have here. And I guess it's a general rule of thumb that if a crowd is giving you the answers, you may want to be skeptical of what they're saying. And so Jesus turns it and he says, but what about you? You see, this is the question that Herod didn't have. He was perplexed. He heard about who he could be. And he did seek an audience with Jesus. Man, it'd be nice to, to know him, to meet him, to see for myself. And then, what does he lose interest? 
Is he just content with the recognition of who Jesus might be? Is he content that there's something, yeah, maybe supernatural going on with that Jesus guy? That's interesting. But then didn't take it any further? You know, there are some that even recognize God as, as Jesus as God himself. Yeah, I believe Jesus is God. He, he's, he's a great one to follow, and they don't follow after him. But that question, but you, who do you say that I am? I'm not concerned about what the crowds are saying. I want to know about you. And this is really the question for every person that's ever walked on the planet. Who do you say that Jesus is? Will you be content in just recognizing that there's something special to Jesus? Will you be content with saying, man, I should seek him out? That'd be great, man. I should learn more about that Jesus guy. I should do that someday. Or will you not be content until you have sought after him to know him personally? In Matthew 16, 16, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we find in the book of John that after this crowd who had been fed 5,000, Jesus goes to another place to teach and the crowd hurries and follows him over there and they want to see another miracle and another happening, another meal take place. And it says, uh, Jesus uh, I'm sorry, Jesus asked them a question because after the crowd doesn't get the show that they wanted, Jesus does send them away. Go on. You're just here for a show. Why don't you guys head out and the crowds are walking away and Jesus asks them, don't you want to follow? Don't you want to go with the crowd? And Peter responds with this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They knew Jesus personally. They spent time with him. They knew more than just intellectually that he was the one that was promised to them. They knew him personally and had stayed with him and stuck with him. Even when the crowds, it was enough for them to be driven away. But these guys wouldn't leave. Where are we going to go? There are plenty who have come seeking after Jesus for a little bit. You know, there's something different about that guy. There's something to him. You know, one day I'm going to figure that out. And they're content just to let him go. Or maybe they move on with the crowd, but not these guys. To whom, well, will we go? To where will we go? Whom will we follow but you? You see, it's not enough to just recognize Jesus as a great teacher he was a great teacher, but not only a good teacher. In fact, I would say you have a hard time saying that he was all that great of a teacher if that's all that he was. If you look at everything that he said, if he wasn't all that he said that he was, then nothing that he said could hold that much truth to it. I mean, he's the one that said, I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. So to put him in line with a bunch of other great moral teachers, he just doesn't allow that for us. He's saying, I am the only way to the Father. There are some that are happy with him just being a moral example. I'm going to read some of this. You know, I'm going to take some of what I like, what I think is good, what's going to help advance me in the way of life that I want to live, and I'm going to walk with those things. But I'm also going to look for other sources, and I'm going to take those good things, the things that I like, and, and walk with those to inform my life as well. Some would even say, yeah, he's God. 
Scripture says that the demons believe that. It's not good enough just to recognize that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The question is, is he your savior, your Lord? Amen. I mean, that's his question. I know what people are saying. I know what's going around out there. I know about all those things. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I would put forward that he can't be your Savior if he's not also your Lord. And he surely isn't your Lord if he isn't your Savior. Let me talk about that for a minute. Okay? You see, Jesus has done all the work that it takes for us to be reconnected with the Father by the work that he did on the cross. He paid the ultimate price that our sins separated us from God, and he paid for that, that we can be in relationship again. He's our Savior. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from what we deserve, but he also has to be Lord, The Lord is the one that gets to say, I want you to buy that guy a burger. And you do it. The Lord is the one that says, I want you to take your life this direction, even if it's a different direction than what you had thought or what you had planned. The Lord sits on the throne. He gets to make the decisions. And so many of us and so many people want him to be our savior. We just don't really want him to be Lord. Like, I want to go to heaven, but I got a few plans that I want to do before I go. We got this figured out. God, I don't want to bog you down in the minutia. I've got this. I'll come to you for the big things. You know, the going to heaven and the cancer and the death and the loss of loved ones. But everything else, I got it. I don't want, I don't want to worry you with it. The creator of the universe, the all-sovereign, all-powerful God, as though the big were more difficult than the little, and he's looking at you going, but I have plans for the tiniest little thing in your life that I want to use to share with others this love story that I've written through my word, through sending my son to the earth, through the church operating together, gathered on Sundays, only so that we can be scattered scattered for the other six days and 22 and a half hours of the week, that we can be out there showing this and sharing this with others. You see, he wants to be Savior and Lord in your life, and you don't have to leave here today without that being the case. He's offered it freely to every single one of us, asking him to to take that role that you would be giving it up to him and over to him. I'd love to talk to you about it. Dan, who was up here giving announcements, would love to talk to you about it. There's so many. Grab us and catch us. Talk to us. Let us share with you and walk through this journey with you a little bit. We're going to sing a song in a second that, again, as we pray and we sing, that, that we're, we're putting into practice, that we're, we're wanting to see lived out in our lives, and, and some of the words are, and I will trust in a God who is ever faithful and always true. As we sing that, make that your prayer.
And as we worship this morning, we're doing uh, something that as we've gathered together, that we've been doing in our communion, our community groups weekly uh, for months and months, and we've been doing this once a month, and, and we just want to come back to the Lord's table. And so we have given you a cracker and a juice. And uh, we're going to be sharing as, as this weekend rem- we remember those who gave their lives to grant us freedom. We especially remember Jesus who gave his life, that we could have freedom from our own sin, that we could have freedom uh, to live, freedom from death to live in eternity with him, and freedom to live the abundant life that he has planned for us as we live in him. Matthew twenty six twenty six. it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread... And after blessing it and broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink it again of its fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Band's going to come up. We're going to worship, continue together. Lord, we come to you. God, you are enough. God, I don't know why we... uh, we don't trust you. God, I don't know why I don't trust you, why I continue to put my own plans in place. God, when you have saved me, God, when your presence is with me, Lord, help me to learn alongside your disciples this lesson of listening to you and following you and trusting in you that you are sufficient, that you are sovereign, that you have plans that I could never imagine God, for this place, for this community, God, to use the people in this room and, and some that are gathered in so many other rooms this morning to show your love and to make a difference in this world, God, in pointing people back to you. We just uh, ask that you would accept our worship. God, we're not perfect. We're broken. We continue to do our own thing. But in this moment, help us to see you as you are, God, that we can worship you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.